Yabzu, internet, that is hello in Amman. It is I, Andy, here with my uh, co-dictator of the Democratic People's Republic of This Week International. And we are here for episode 10, I believe. Yes, episode 10. Uh, you may have seen that on our previous story, we actually had a different episode planned to be episode 10. But it was a pretty boring episode, and I was really busy, Oops. so I didn't have time to upload it. And we decided to scrap it. It was just about Kosovo and Biden's election. And look, if you want to know about Biden's election, then there are... Go on Google. Probably tens of thousands of podcasts talking about Biden's election. So go listen to a podcast about Biden's election. All you need to know is that it probably wasn't stolen. Actually, I know it wasn't stolen. You were on a podcast about Biden's election. I was on a podcast about Biden's election, actually, uh, with uh, Davud, who is the guy who was on our podcast about Nagorno-Karabakh. And then I went on a podcast with him and talked about the U.S. elections. So that was fun. I highly recommend it. His podcast uh, is called First Generation. I've listened to a couple episodes of it. I highly recommend it to everyone, and it is a very good podcast. And yeah, anyway, moving on, let's start with our stories. So I'm going to start off with a story about vaccines. Now, this is not the kind of story we usually cover, but it made the news, so I feel like we have to cover it. So there are two vaccines out. There is the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine. And both were announced recently. And Pfizer's actually been partnering with the BioNTech to release their vaccine. So the Pfizer vaccine is about 90% efficient. And for the 10% of people who... So what that means, I should probably explain what that means. So 90% efficiency on a vaccine means that 90% of people who are vaccinated will not be symptomatic when it comes to COVID. They will either not get COVID or they will be asymptomatic with COVID. The 10% of people who do show COVID symptoms after getting the vaccine, they are less bad than people who didn't get the vaccine but got COVID. So even if it doesn't completely work on you, it's still good. The Moderna vaccine is very similar. It has about a 94.5% to 95% efficiency and has a very similar situation where it's not 100% effective. It's still very effective and you should get it. So both of the vaccines do have some issues. For example, storage is a little bit of an issue. The Moderna vaccine can be kept up, can be kept for up to six months in a standard kitchen freezer with a temperature of negative 20 degrees Celsius, which, uh, Andy, do you know what that is in Fahrenheit? I do not know. I do not have that number on me. I'll convert it and get back to you in a couple sentences or whatever. Thank you. And the Pfizer vaccine does need long-term storage as well. And the Pfizer vaccine needs storage 
at about negative 80 degrees Celsius. So when Andy's done with converting the negative 20 to Fahrenheit, we can convert the negative 80 to Fahrenheit for our American listeners. And although this type of freezer is required, it is not as bad as many people think, just because negative 80 degrees is really cold, but it's not unheard of. So, like, storage is not literally impossible. I have some numbers. Okay, thank you, Andy. Negative 20 degrees Celsius is negative 4 degrees Fahrenheit, and negative 80 degrees Celsius is negative 112 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay, there you got it. Negative 4 degrees, which is not that bad. And negative 112. That, yeah, that's cold, but it's not the end of the world. And then as far as side effects go, both vaccines uh, seem to cause fatigue, which is tiredness, muscle pain, joint pain, headaches, and some redness at the injection site. But that's actually pretty normal with a lot of vaccines. I actually just got a flu shot today. and I didn't have any side effects, but... I'm fine. Um, it's not crazy to have that happen. I mean, that's just what happens with some vaccines. So that's the way to kind of know it's working because you're basically your body's trying to fight off a foreign invader. Almost. That's kind of the way it works. Yeah. I'm not, um, a, I'm not a medical expert, so I don't know all the ins and outs, but I do know that anti-vaxxers are wrong when they say that most vaccines cause permanent side effects. I'm sorry rfk jr but you are wrong on this one by the way if you don't know who rfk jr is he's the nephew of john f kennedy president of the united states and the son of robert kennedy who was the i believe he was the attorney general under john f kennedy and he actually ran for president once but was shot while running for president and he died but rfk jr is a big anti-vaxxer so he's wrong when it comes to vaccine science and then we should also talk about the distribution because that's probably the most important part of all of this. So Pfizer expects to produce about 20 million doses for this month. And by March, the company will have about 100 million doses ready in the U.S. And Moderna anticipates 20 million doses by the end of this year. So that's the end of December for the U.S., and a hundred million by the end of the first quarter of 2021. And I don't know exactly when that is, but I'm assuming it's around March. And Pfizer is aiming for 1.3 billion doses in 2021. And Moderna is aiming for between 500 million and 1 billion. So there will be more of the Pfizer vaccine than the Moderna vaccine. And that actually works well. I mean, if the Pfizer vaccine is slightly less effective than the Moderna vaccine, then both are competitive. It's basically quality versus quantity. So we'll see about that. But you might be saying, isn't there another vaccine? And there is another vaccine. I'm introducing to you the Sputnik V. (laughs) The Sputnik V is a Russian COVID-19 vaccine developed by the Gamaleya Research Institute of Epidemiology and Microbiology in moscow and it was registered all the way back in august by the russian ministry of health and it was approved in russia and there wasn't much of a process in the clinical trials they only lasted about two months and it wasn't tested on that many people but countries have actually 
ordered this vaccine. So India, Brazil, Uzbekistan, Mexico, Nepal, Egypt, and Kazakhstan have all ordered millions of doses of this Sputnik vaccine. And even Israel has shown some interest in it. So we'll see what happens with this vaccine. But I'm very skeptical of this Russian vaccine, and apparently Canadians and Americans are too. And even some Russians, actually. Uh, Only half the Russian population would take it voluntarily, according to Russian public opinion polls. And only 14% of Canadians would do it, and 24% of Americans would do it, even if it was totally free. And majorities in both countries, Canada and the U.S., would choose not to take it if they had the option. So, Andy, what do you think about all this vaccine stuff? One, I mean, I honestly don't care. Well, I would make sure there's no arson attendant or anything, but I would take the vaccine from North Korea if it cures COVID. I mean, seriously. Two, I, of course, have had family members who have gotten COVID. So, I mean, well, I mean, not in my household, no, but um, relatives who have gotten covid my grandmother actually lives at the last uh, retirement apartment in our state that does not have COVID at it. The only one currently that doesn't. So, I mean, we got lucky there, but uh, all the other ones in her network have had COVID cases. So, uh, I mean, I wouldn't be dissing the Russians. I'd uh, take it. My, uh, I know quite a few people who should actually be able to get it by February even. So, uh, yeah, this, of course, like, I mean, I don't find it odd that a lot of countries have ordered it because, I mean, like, it's not like Russia's going to hog it all to themselves. I mean, I don't know why Russia would do that. I mean, they're already on interesting terms with most of the world. I mean, if you look at, like, our special and if you look at literally the entire Cold War, like, I mean, in, like, Trump's relationship with Putin and everything. I mean, Trump-Russia collusion, blah, 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 blah. I'm not really skeptical of the Sputnik vaccine. I mean, unless Russia lied and they didn't actually have a vaccine. Well, that's the fear. That's the fear about the Sputnik vaccine is that, like, Russia is just, like, trying to say, hey, we were first. But then again, like, if in that case, who cares? I mean, like, then those countries aren't going to get the vaccine and... We just have another country, or maybe Russia actually will come out with the first vaccine. I mean, we already have the Pfizer and Moderna ones. Well, I guess the concern there is that you'd have all these countries paying money for a vaccine that is worthless. And they would be bankrupting themselves on something that's stupid, basically. Oh, by the way, I do have to mention there is a Chinese vaccine that isn't really out yet. It's still under research. It's called CoronaVac. And uh, I'm about as skeptical of a Chinese vaccine as I would be of a Russian one. I'd want to really see what happened there when it comes to the vaccine, the outcomes. It's not that I think the Russian vaccine will actually like harm people. I just think it won't do anything. Like I'm going to guess it'll have like whatever, 25% efficiency or something. And it's like... Look, if, you have, if your vaccine is 25% efficiency, then it's like, I don't know. It's not, that's not great. Like, why don't just, why don't just go get a bunch of the Pfizer vaccine or the Moderna vaccine? But, uh. There's a lot of, uh, ethos towards 
the foreign vaccines here in the United States, which I mean, well, I don't know, man. Well, in Russia, but not in all. I mean, in India, is there a is there a big like American skepticism of the? Is there a big like anti Pfizer vaccine, anti Moderna vaccine sentiment there? I don't know. I doubt so. I'm talking about the Russian and Chinese ones. Are oh, you specifically talking about? Oh, you're talking yeah. about those ones. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm skeptical of them. Like, would I take one? Maybe. Um, would I take a Russian vaccine? I don't know. Maybe. I might not, to be honest. Like, I mean, depend. If like someone was going to give me a hundred bucks, they said, "Hey, go take the Sputnik vaccine." Um, I, I'd do it. I would do it. But like, if someone just said, "Hey, do you want to take that?" And I would absolutely not take it. Um, I would absolutely not pay for it if I had to like pay for it. Like pay t- 50 bucks to get the Sputnik vaccine with very little um, results known about it. Like we don't even know an efficient. I don't think we know an efficiency rate about the Sputnik vaccine. Let me go look. Well, one, vaccine capitalism, like vaccine skepticism is just stupid. Two, it is. if somebody's paying you 100 bucks to take the vaccine, you should be concerned from the start. The next thing is, I'm honestly curious to know what negative 112 degrees being shot into your arm feels like. I mean, I'm honestly curious for that adrenaline rush. I don't know if it would work exactly like that. I'm assuming, like, it may be out for, like, half an hour or something. But that's just to preserve it for long periods of time, like three months or something. Okay, so apparently the Sputnik vaccine shows 92% efficiency. And, uh, I don't know. Do you believe that? I don't. I mean, <laughs> but uh, I mean, does it matter? I mean, if if it's actually helping people, then uh, well, that's the thing. I don't know. As far as I know, Russia could be lying about everything when it comes to the vaccine. Okay. Like that's the that's the problem. Like <laughs> that's the problem. Like Russia's lied about so many things. I mean, let's be fair. The U.S. has lied about things too, but not nearly to the extent that Russia has. Okay. I don't know how effective it is. I think the Russian vaccine is probably going to be somewhere between sort of effective and little to no effect. So if the Sputnik vaccine comes to the U.S., take it as a last resort. Try to get either the Pfizer vaccine or the Moderna vaccine. Or if it comes to any other um, country where you have the option to take either the Sputnik vaccine or an American vaccine, please take the American one. And uh, if you still don't trust me, go to your doctor and talk to them about the vaccines. But anyway, I think we've spent a little bit too much time talking about vaccines. It's fun, though. (laughs) Neither of us are medical experts, so we are kind of stepping out of our range of expertise when it comes to this. I mean, neither of us are foreign policy experts either, but I feel like we know more about that than we do about vaccines. But anyway, Andy... Do you want to do your story? Okay. Uh, which one would you prefer I start with? I'm just curious. Uh, you can do your election story. Oh, yes. The Peruvian... Well, there is no election story, but... Um, I thought I thought it was the Peruvian election. Well, there's a Peruvian election coming up, and it's a result of multiple events. So Peru has gone through, I think, four presidents within the last month. So this started all... Uh, way back in 2019, when Peru has this weird system where they have multiple vice presidents. I'm not sure how that works, but it will be important. So back in November of 2019, uh, President Pedro, or former Peruvian President, Pedro Pablo Kuczynski, 
resigns over moral incapacity to be the president of Peru and first vice president, uh, Martin Vizcala, uh, eventually takes over for him. So eventually Vizcala kind of ends up in a battle with Peruvian Congress. I don't know the full story. You can read about it. It happened in 2019 or he may have taken over 2018. I can't remember how writing. Anyways, um, Vizcara, he took over in 2018. Okay, that's what I thought. March of 2018. My bad. So, Vizcara kind of ended up in a battle with Peruvian Congress, as I said, over conflicting constitutional amendments. I didn't read the whole story. It's kind of long, kind of deserves its own story because, uh, yeah, it, the vet, uh, I, all I saw was he was at one point apparently, apparently declared physically incapacitated during the event, even though he wasn't. I don't know. So, Second vice president, Mercedes Arroyos, so it's A-R and then A with a dash over it, O-Z. I probably butchered that name. Arroyos allows herself to be sworn in as Peruvian president only a day later to reside when Vizcara is proven by, well, not I should say, well, yeah, proven to be correct in this little constitutional battle he has with Codrus. And it's clear that he would be president and Congress and the Congress of Peru is reelected. So fast forward some more. Manuel Marino, the speaker of the Peruvian Congress, attempts to oust Martin Vizcara over his, quote, moral incapacity. What a coincidence. I should say he is no longer taken seriously because apparently he tried to get the military to turn against Vizcara. So November 9th of this year, this date says too, Vizcara finally resigns after a vote to remove him from office for, guess what, moral incapacity. And this is because he was apparently very corrupt as a governor in Peru. And right after this, the very technocratic Martin Vizcara says 68 out of 130 members already have corruption charges before them, and I'm going home. Due to the line of succession where we had already gone down multiple spots in uh, the Peruvian line of succession, opposition leader Manuel Marino takes over as president of Peru. This is November 14th, so six days ago, a.k.a. I believe that would be Sunday. He is deeply unpopular because apparently the people preferred Martin Vizcara. People riot in the streets. Marino sends police after them. He makes no public appearances and multiple countries, including Argentina and Spain, refuse to recognize him as the official president of Peru. So he sends police out to combat the riots. Police end up killing two people. On November 15th, he resigns. And so Peruvian Congress has elected a board of various members of parliament to basically rule the country. And from this, the ruler of this board, his name is Francisco Sagasti of the centrist Purple Party. So he will serve as the president of Peru until they have their elections coming up. So... um. What do you think of this? It seems like kind of a mess, if I'm going to be totally honest. I mean, Vizcara, I mean, I don't, it doesn't seem like Vizcara did anything wrong when your argument is 
morally incompetent. It's a very flimsy argument. Like, really? Here's the thing, though. It should be impeachment. He should have been impeached, but being forced to resign for moral incapacity is the equivalent of being impeached in Peru, except because of some, I didn't look into it, but because of some weird law, apparently it's basically the equivalent of impeachment, except it's not impeachment. But there's a difference between impeachment and removal. Like, I mean, Trump was impeached, and uh, Andrew Johnson back in the 1860s was impeached and bill clinton they were all impeached none of them were removed impeachment just means you're charged with a crime but uh it seems like in peru when you are impeached you are also removed which look i think it's good that removal due to impeachment is hard because people elect their president people elect their government and like it shouldn't be super easy to just impeach someone without a serious charge. It should be hard to impeach and remove someone without a serious charge. And when the Peruvians try to impeach and remove Vizcara on some flimsy charge, it's most likely it's just because they don't like him. And they're just trying to find a way to get him out. He's very popular in Peru. Well, it's the elected officials who don't like him. Right? Am I right about that? I mean, yeah, there is a charge against him, a legitimate one. I just didn't have time to go into the whole thing. It's very complicated. I don't know the whole scoop about his charges, but they just don't seem like a super valid charge. They don't seem super valid. And that seems like a way to get him out of office. And the people obviously like him. And I think the main purpose of a leader of the country is to represent the people. Like, that's what you do. That's why you're the leader of a country. So when a leader who people like is removed from office, that's screwed up. Like, it's strange. And it's dumb. And the fact that some dude from a different party succeeded him, that's very weird. Like, that's kind of, like, that part reminds me of the Bolivia thing, where it's like, Look, did Evo Morales in Bolivia do some stupid stuff and, like, try to kind of... Did he try to, like, kind of game the uh, game the office of president and, like, try to sort of expand his powers in a very shady and somewhat corrupt way? Yes. But should someone of a different party replace him? No. Like, if you're going to... If you're going to have someone resign, the person who takes their place should be of the same party as them. Like, I don't know. It'd just be weird. Like, imagine that happening in your country where, like, you have two leaders and, like, one's, like, on the left and one's on the right. And, like... Um, we kind of do, to be fair. I mean, Trump refuses to concede. Yeah, I mean, if you want to hear our coverage on American elections, then, again, go to Davud's podcast where he talks about that. But, uh, my interview with him. But I'm not going to get into it that much here. But that's a bit different because... Trump legitimately lost this election here in the U.S. Well, Marino just basically kind of took over. Like, he wasn't elected. Like, no one elected Manuel Marino. People elected Biden. And people elected Trump in 2016. So there's a big difference. But uh, I don't know. That's just my thoughts on it. Okay. I mean, cool. Yeah. Want to move on to the next story, unless you have something else? Sure. No, we can move on to the next story. So, our next story actually comes to the U.S., but don't worry, it's not a domestic issue. We're not turning into the American show. 
This is a story about foreign policy, and it's about Afghanistan. So the U.S. Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, met with the Afghan government and the Taliban in Doha, and they were discussing peace. And they discussed a reduction in violence, and they also discussed some stuff such as, like, terrorism and stuff like that. And it seems like the talks went all right. Doesn't seem like they're in much of a worse situation, although it doesn't seem like there is a lot more. I mean, the Taliban and the Afghanistan government haven't had any more breakthroughs and talks after Pompeo departed. So that's kind of disappointing to many people, I guess. Although the Afghan High Council does claim that they are close with uh, breaking a deadlock when it comes to the Taliban, uh, when it comes to talks with the Taliban. So that's good. Let's hope that that, let's hope that that uh, continues. And this is all because the Pentagon said earlier this week that it would pull about 2000 troops out of Afghanistan and that uh, they would fully withdraw from Afghanistan the middle of 2021 And this is part of Trump's call to repeatedly end forever wars, including in Afghanistan. And President-elect Joe Biden actually agrees with uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan, although we don't really know how he would do it. We don't know. He hasn't said much on how, if he would have pulled out 2,000 troops right now, or if he would have waited a little bit longer or what his strategy would have been. But both of them actually agree that we should get out soon. And that's a rare point of agreement. And if you don't know, the Taliban is connected to Al-Qaeda. Taliban at one point controlled a lot of Afghanistan. We basically went in. We severely damaged the Taliban in Afghanistan. But they've kind of come back and they control, I'd say, probably about 40% of the country now. A lot of it's pretty sparsely populated like the main cities are generally under uh, the control of the afghan government but the taliban is gaining uh, power there so that is that and uh there's some other interesting stuff too like for example the saturday on saturday this isn't completely connected but it's kind of important too is that uh isis apparently uh apparently fired some rockets into the Afghan capital. So uh, that is pretty crazy. I don't know why they would do that. Maybe just to sow some havoc. I don't, ISIS and the Taliban aren't really associated with each other anymore. I mean, I think originally they were, but ISIS doesn't really have that many allies at all. Like even Al Qaeda doesn't like ISIS. Like they had a disagreement a while back and now, uh, I mean, Syria, they fought each other. So Andy, what do you think about all this? I've never really been a fan of our two parties, but honestly, I kind of was a Tulsi Gabbard fan. And she said she was gonna don't take this as an endorsement audience. I just don't. I kind of was when she said she was gonna pull us out of Afghanistan because uh, we have long overstayed our welcome. Like we barged in there, we worked with the Afghan government. A lot of people think that the Afghan government invited us over. No, we worked with them to eradicate the Taliban. Of course, then we got angry when they refused refused to release Osama bin Laden. So 
I think uh, pulling out is probably a good idea. I don't often watch interviews because um, they can be long and tedious to take notes on, but one of the few interviews I have watched with the world leaders is actually uh, Ashraf Ghani, the president of Afghanistan. And he is like, a lot of people say that Ghani is leading the country towards economic collapse. And some say he isn't. He's kind of the first, I believe him taking power was the first peaceful transition of power in Afghanistan's history. Oh, from uh, from Karzai? Yeah, from Karzai. Of course, Afghanistan, they were, of course, they had the communist government. The Soviet Union tried to invade, and then they ended up with this weird kind of communist government and stuff like that. But I think Afghanistan, with us pulling out, it'll be a good step for us because we'll finally be able to, like, get unnecessary just unnecessary people out of unnecessary places. And then it'll be good for Afghanistan because they can kind of continue to go more towards more, I don't, I'm not trying to insult Afghanistan here, but more towards more developed countries, if you will, such as Japan or... Heck, the Gulf states. Well, I'm, I'm talking that on a democracy level too. So, I mean, demo- I'm talking democracy, infrastructure, that kind of stuff. I mean... Yeah, the Gulf states have some good infrastructure, but I mean, Disney decided to plop down in Japan, not Saudi Arabia. So <laughs> I, I'm not necessarily, you've been to Japan, you may view differently on this. Yeah, no, no, I was just trying to think of a, I, I thought you were just talking about infrastructure and I was trying to think of a more local country because like, I mean, Japan is in Asia and Afghanistan is in Asia, but they're nothing alike. So I didn't know if I... I mean, Afghanistan, it's also kind of, it's also kind of a mixing pot. You have, of course, you have Russia right in that region. You have, you, because they, of course, tried to invade Afghanistan. And then you have the uh, other kind of developed stands. I know Turkmenistan is pretty poor. I know, uh, but they still have some pretty, they can be, Ashgabat, it, Ashgabat isn't necessarily a third world town. Um, they're a pretty nice place. Democracy-wise, they'll probably move more towards a Japan, South Korea, maybe a part, maybe they'll operate like the South. I think I think they'll operate like the South American countries, like where they don't really have a, they won't be like South Korea where they have like a president and a prime minister and all that stuff. They'll be more like the South American countries where they just have like a president, maybe like an appointed prime minister, but not an elected one. It's some sort of a national assembly, like an elected one, not the one Ghani currently has, which is kind of mixed. Well, I just pulled up a map of Afghanistan, and Afghanistan borders Iran, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, uh, Pakistan, and China. Or if you want to be, if you want to get really specific, it borders uh, Xinjiang, which uh, we have some, which we have some coverage about. Xinjiang, or it's for the home of the Uyghurs. We talked about it in our first uh, two episodes, which um, those were okay episodes. I mean, we were kind of newbies then, so it was we were not perfect when it came to the the way those were. But uh, uh, we used to actually read like whole articles, and that's what we spent most of our time doing. So that's. That wasn't that long ago, so I'm pretty sure the list, a lot of the listeners would probably remember those long articles. And Yeah, I mean, I don't know. 
we just got sick of reading them and we're like, you know, well, we're just going to start summarizing all these articles we read. But anyway, yeah, it was a, yeah. So like we still have articles up, but like, we don't like go through them word for word. I mean, the issue for some people about troop withdrawal, which I mean, it's kind of a valid concern. It's kind of not is that, I mean, look, the Taliban may just very well resume operations and like, would we be comfortable with having the Taliban controlling more of Afghanistan? Like a lot of people wouldn't, I wouldn't be super comfortable with it. I mean, I don't like the Taliban. I mean, it's not, it's not, of, it's not in my opinion of greatest concern who controls Afghanistan right now. It's not like, it's not like, uh, I don't know. It's not like if uh, the Nazis rose up again in Germany, like you bet, like you bet that we'd be there in a minute to stop any neo-Nazi insurrection. Like if if they controlled half of Germany, then that'd be a big issue. But Afghanistan, and this isn't just this isn't because like we're anti-Afghan or anything like that, but just that like Afghanistan's been so volatile for a while that just like I mean it's been volatile for over forty years that. I don't know. Does anybody there think that peace is totally possible, even if we get out? I don't know. As as far as Trump's strategy of troop withdrawal, I don't actually know what to think of it. it reducing 2,000 troops, it really depends on where they are. I'd have to look into where we are withdrawing the troops. I mean, there are some areas where troop withdrawal is probably good. There's some areas where troop withdrawal is bad. It's like Syria, where when Trump decided to withdraw troops... If you wanted to withdraw them from Idlib, I would be supportive of that because Idlib was where you had basically Al-Qaeda there. And we were kind of helping Al-Qaeda, which is a no-no. But instead, he decided to withdraw them from Rojava, which is um, northern Syria. It's where the Kurds were, The uh, or if I want to be more... Um, if I want to be more uh, technical, the Syrian Democratic Forces were, he basically just gave Turkey the green light to invade. And that was dumb. Like even, there were even some like super anti-war people who were saying like, don't pull out of that area of Syria. Like pull out of Idlib, but don't pull out of Northern Syria. Like that's a bad idea. But yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, this is not really going to be up to Trump pretty soon. It's going to be up to Biden. So we'll see how that goes. I mean, Trump may very well get his 2,000 troops withdrawn. And then we'll see where Biden takes from there. We definitely should get out. We should definitely have a concrete plan. We should definitely try to negotiate with the Taliban. I don't really know what the results would be if we'd like split the country or something. Which would it be split on along ethnic lines or religious lines or I don't know. Um, linguistic lines. <laughs> we'll see what it would look like. But yeah. Um We'll see. I mean, Afghanistan's pretty complicated. It's more complicated than Syria. It's more complicated than Iraq, in my opinion. Like, there are a lot of places like Yemen where it's very easy to just say, take out all your troops now. Like, I definitely think, like, we should have no military presence in Yemen. Basically, you have either pro-Iran side or you have the pro-Saudi Arabia side. And the pro-Saudi Arabia side is actually, like, killing kids there, so... I don't really want to support them, but I obviously don't want to support the pro-Iran side either because they hate us. Uh, they hate America and its allies, like the NATO countries. So 
that's kind of straightforward. But Afghanistan, I honestly don't know. I mean, withdraw at some point, but don't don't take out all the troops at once. I know that for sure. You have anything else to say about this, Andy? No. Um, okay, so do you want to move on to your final topic? Yep. So uh, this is a Ethiopia story. Oh boy! <laughs> it is not about the Tigray, though. So recently, there was a bus attack full of ethnic Amharas headed from the Metrochel region. If you don't know where that is, which most of our listeners are Europeans and Americans, with the exception of like one or two Australians and Singaporeans. Um, so in the Metrochel region recently, which in relation to Tigray, if you look to southwest of Tigray, there's the Amharic province or the Amhara prov- territory. I think they're provinces, but I'm not totally sure what they call them. Yeah, the Amhara province. And then looking again to southwest of that, you have Benishan Bulgamuz. And Benishan Bulgamuz, it has, shares a tiny border with the South Sudan. And it also borders the, the other Sudan. The not South Sudan. Yeah, the not South Sudan, Sudan. That Sudan. By the way. No one ever call that country North Sudan. They hate I it I swear. Yeah. North they... Sudan. North Sudan is the name of a micronation. Yes. <laughs> North Sudan, it's a micronation in Beer Towel, which is that weird disputed area in Sudan. That, uh, uh, it's a disputed area that no one wants because claiming, because uh, if Sudan claimed Beer Towel, then they'd be forfeiting their claim uh they'd be forfeiting their claim of the halaib triangle to egypt yeah anyway that's a whole nother story that's something else but anyway okay so in the metrochel there was a bus traveling from wambara uh which is in the metrochel and in benishangudamuz province of ethiopia traveling to chadni which is in the amhara province and this bus was actually bombed and there was 34 people that died they were all ethnic amharas we are led to believe the ahmed government provided scant information on this but um it it's allegedly uh ethnically motivated so people are already calling this the amharic genocide and basically what happens is People like the Gamus in which are occupants of the Sudan and Ethiopia and the OLF, the Aromo Liberation Front, which is a terrorist group, which is anti-Ahmed, who, of course, they would not like the Amhara because the Amharas are, for the most part, they actually put Ahmed in office. It said the Amharas did uh, put Abiy Ahmed, in o- Prime Minister of Ethiopia, in office, but... Um, I've kind of realized as I've looked into Ethiopian politics that there are two groups. There's like the pro-Ethiopian unity people and people like the TPLF and the OLF, who, fun fact, are good friends. Yes, the TPLF is kind of friends with terrorists. Um, The Aromo Liberation Front, who are kind of anti-Ahmed and often commit attacks against ethnic Amharas and others, I can only assume. And there were actually attacks from OLF and various other militias in that killed a bunch of people in October and September. I am willing to call this the Amharic genocide or ethnic cleansing because, I mean, it kind of, like, it's kind of like, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure if the Amhara, or I may have said this 
I may have actually answered this question before, but I'm not sure if the Amhara have actually controlled Ethiopia before. But uh, yeah, I mean, do you have any thoughts on this? Well, I mean, it's very hard to kind of get the full scope of this just because there are so many different players involved, I guess. Uh, I don't know a lot about it. I'll call it a genocide just because I trust you on this, Andy. And uh, I mean, I definitely think that uh, if you have militia groups going around and killing uh, innocent uh, Amhara, then that's insane. The OLF. And I mean, there's kind of like a sort of a cold war in Ethiopia between the Amhara and the Oromo with the Tigray kind of taking the third side. The Tigrays have actually resorted to military conflict. I didn't get this update because there were other stories, but there was actually an airstrike on a Tigray university by the Ethiopian government that I think killed a few people. So, I mean... Yeah, I mean... Yeah. Oh, yeah, and by the way, when we say the Tigray, we are not talking about all of Tigray, people of Tigray origin, or all people of Amhara origin, or all people of Oromo origin. We're mostly talking about the leaders and the active members of these militias, like the OMF and the TPLF. I'm not doing an AOAB, all Oromo, all Oromo people are bad, or I guess that'd be A-O-P-A-B, A-O-P-A-B, all Oromo people are bad. No, we're not doing that, but we're just saying that, yeah, the it seems like a lot of the people um, in the OMF are like pretty against uh, ethnic Amharas just because they're ethnic Amharas. I mean... There are two types of Oromo. There are the people who support Ahmed, and then there are, there are the ones who support Ahmed, and then there are the ones like the OLF who uh, really don't support Ahmed. And I think a couple of countries have labeled them a terrorist group. Well, I mean, is Ahmed Oromo? He is, right? Yes, but he's one of the pro-Ethiopian unity Oromos. The OLF, they're uh, actually separatists, and they're kind of also terrorists as well. Because, uh, yeah... It's weird because the main language of Ethiopia is Amharic, which is the language of the Anhara. But the biggest group there is the uh, Oromo. So that kind of creates a weird situation where it's like you have. Uh... Wait, I was saying the OMF. It's the OLF. Okay. Yes. I got that wrong. Shoot, OMF. No, it's the OLF. Sorry about that. It's fine. But yeah, the OLF, I mean. They seem pretty kind of wacky. And uh, yeah, I mean, definitely uh, raise awareness of this. I would hate to have another genocide or I'd hate to have the genocide even worse. So definitely uh, screw all of these anti-government militias in Ethiopia and Eritrea. Because at this route, they're going to turn to Somalia, which... uh, we all know what happens when uh libertarianism takes over. Yeah. <laughs> libertarianism reigns supreme and you fall from dictatorship to anarcho-capitalism. You know what's hilarious? Watching online libertarians thinking that like without a state they'll be allowed to do whatever they want. Yeah, that it, there'd be a power vacuum, but I mean literally what would happen would be like you would have like and I'm not about. I'm not talking about like. I'm not talking about like moderate libertarians. I'm talking about like the super extreme libertarians. People who say that like we shouldn't have public roads. If you don't think we should have public roads, you're a nut job. Like you know what would happen? You'd be driving your car, which you pay 
which you probably spent like a hundred thousand Bitcoin on because your great uncle was a criminal. And maybe a Somali pirate too. Who knows? And uh, <laughs> your great uncle was a criminal and he was charged to, uh, he was forced to pay, uh, he was forced to pay Bitcoin to uh, the, uh, the McDonald's corporation or whatever. You're not, it's a, <laughs> but, uh, you're not a libertarian, so it'd Mc- be a private road too. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, anyway, I was going to say, so you're, you got your, you got your, you got your car <laughs> yeah. that doesn't work well. That was a, it's a Mick car. It's by the McDonald's corporation and you paid a hundred thousand Bitcoin for it. <laughs> yeah. And then what happens is you yeah. end up like you end up um, on a road that you own. And then like five minutes while you're driving, you, you can't pass into the next road because someone else owns that road and you beat them up in a fist fight 20 years ago so they will refuse yeah. you access and then it looks like the other the other way out is owned by a different person who you beat up 30 years ago in this fight when you were 12 years old so congratulations two people have basically blocked you from leaving now you have to, now you have to walk everywhere and or yeah it's a mess and i mean somalia yeah i mean you need a government like uh, ANCAPs are cringe and uh, extreme libertarians are cringe like private roads or I don't know if Somalia is like all I know is that they are like really libertarian and that is not looking out for them because they have breakaway states and terrorist groups operating in their country so that's not great <laughs> So, um, did you have anything else? I don't, uh, have much else. I mean, no, did, um, do you have much else? I mean, do you want to finish this one up? Sure. So, uh, if you want all the links to our stuff, go back and listen to previous episodes. We are, well, we're not lazy, but I mean, I mean, I can pull them up. I've, uh, no, no, here, I can do it too. I'll do it. I'll do it. I already volunteered to close. Okay, sure. You can do them. I can, uh, hang on. Yeah, no, I can't pull it up. Anyways, we're on Spotify, Breaker, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and a lot of other places that you can find podcasts. Uh, Radio Public, I believe, also, yes. and Pocket Casts. And uh, I mean, I can check if there's some yeah. other ones. And we have our RSS feed. That should be like two or three episodes back if you really want that. Our RSS feed, I looked at it once. It My computer ended up crashing when I pulled it up, and it gave me this weird code thing. But um, you can try getting on it. Internet. Uh, yeah. But I'd highly suggest anything but RSS feeds. Um, the RSS feed. Uh, yeah, so um, it's been fun, everybody. And then uh, we also have Reddit. Oh, yeah, and Instagram at yeah. TWI1244. We do a lot of great stuff on Instagram, so I highly suggest you follow us there. VK, which is... Uh, yeah, so we've actually uh, had some good operations on a VK. So yeah. yeah, we do. It's uh, and then uh, also I want to give a shout out to yes the uh, our Singaporean listener just because I think that's an interesting place, uh, Singapore. So uh, shout out to Singapore, and uh, I don't think I have much else to say. Um, I'm sorry about the two week delay by the time this episode has come up. But we will be making up for that. We have some great stuff coming up. Definitely going to have the most December and late November. Will be the most interesting month for This Week International by far. 
ever and possibly february we won't and possibly tell you about that yet but uh december will be the most interesting month for this week international so keep listening we're gonna have some more interviews i noticed that our interview with davood was well received people really liked it and you're gonna have some more interviews with some interesting guests on a bunch of different topics all relating to international news and international politics so this is This Week International, and we will be signing off and cue the outro music.